Good morning, Rhode Island. It is a cool and cloudy Friday morning here in the Ocean State. And I'm Mark Radigan, back here with another episode of Mark's Remarks. We were supposed to have Mason Brubacker on the show today, a champion pole vaulter for the Rhode Island Rams men's track and field team. But due to some scheduling conflicts, Mason was not able to make it today. So, as your fearless leader on the radio today, I'm going to fill in talk about some other contemporary sports topics that are going on in the world today because the sh- as always the show must go on so the main topic that everybody's talking about is obviously the masters masters teed off yesterday as the wednesday rounds got underway and there was no shortage of drama as the 18 live golfers made their return in the first major of the year on the pga tour and you've got guys like Brooks Kepka, who finished yesterday tied for first at 7-under, alongside Victor Hovland, the young buck with a striking polo that left the world divided on whether it was ugly or fashionable. And surprisingly, according to some people on Twitter, his polo, the flamboyant floral pattern that people saw on ESPN, sold out by 4 p.m. yesterday. Not so many people were intrigued at what the young Norwegian was wearing, but he played incredibly. He finished seven under as well. And then you got John Rahm. John Rahm is just such an incredible golfer. I mean, he started the first hole with a double bogey. A double bogey, and then he shot nine under his next 17 holes. That is a 59 on 17 holes. Unheard of. So both of them were tied for, all three of those players were tied for the lead going into round two this morning, and uh, because of some inclement weather heading into Augusta today, all the tee times got pushed up um, an hour or so early, so tee times began at 7.30 a.m. today, and as of right now, I've got the Masters scoreboard up on my phone here. Brooks Kepka is the current leader at 8-under. That's a lot, a lot to unpack with that. Because Brooks Kepka is one of those golfers that everybody was pretty shocked that he made the jump over to live when it originally happened and thought that he was entitled, thought that he was just trying to do it for all the money, which, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what most of these live guys are doing. A lot of them are going over for the money. You can't say that they're not when you've got guys like Phil, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka getting paid upwards of $150 million just to sign with the tour. So when Brooks Kepka left, everyone was like, that's insane, because Kepka was a player who had won numerous majors. He was a perennial title favorite every time he took the course on the PGA Tour. So to see him make the jump over to live golf, that was a big surprise to many, and many thought that he wasn't really going to be competitive ever again, considering the level of competition that's present at live golf and considering how little he was playing on the PGA Tour to begin with outside of the four majors and the players, many were sort of wary of whether we would see a dominant Brooks Kepka again. But heading into this year's Masters, bookies had Brooks Kepka as a sneaky favorite. He was one of the few guys from the Live Tour, him and Dustin Johnson, that were getting serious looks from Vegas as possible contenders for the Masters this year. And I mean, Brooks Kepka is just playing out of his mind right now. And suffice it to say, he's kind of giving a decent image to the live golf guys. I mean, you're seeing 
other live golf guys play reasonably well. I mean, Phil Mickelson, Phil in his 50s, is shooting two under right now, tied for 17th. And I mean, he's playing well. Joaquin Neiman is one under. Dustin Johnson is one under. You've got a number... Harold Varner III's even right now. You've got a number of these guys that hopped over to the Live Tour, and many of them, many fans believed that they were ruining the game, that they were selling out, and that they were taking the easy way out to make more money and play against terrible competition. Some of that may be true. The competition at Live Events, I've gone to a Live Event, I can tell you firsthand that the competition is not nearly as strong on the PGA Tour. It's not. But at the same time, you have to look at it this way. When you're talking about golfers who have been so successful on the PGA Tour, they're successful for a reason. These golfers are successful because they are exceptional at what they do. Them going to a different tour and playing against a lower level of competition isn't going to make them worse golfers. Yeah, they're probably playing less golf than they would be on the PGA Tour. It's a little bit more of a relaxed environment. But that doesn't mean that these golfers are becoming worse as a result. These golfers are still competing. These golfers are still trying to win. And these golfers are still excelling at what they do. So that's why I feel like that some people are surprised at the level of competition that guys like Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson are playing right now. But, I mean, at the same time, this is something that they really want as well. I mean, everybody wants to win the Masters. That's that's a given. The Masters is the most coveted tournament in all of professional golf. But the thing is now is that given the current state of the golf landscape today, the live golfers would want to win this more than anything. More or less just as a prove it to all of the fans and all of the outspoken critics that are on the PGA Tour and now the outspoken journalists criticizing their decision to move over to live golf. This is basically the perfect way, if you were to win the Masters, it's the perfect way to sort of prove that I can go to a different tour while also still remaining competitive. Because if I went over to live, which you said is basically a baby tour with no competition, and I still came back and beat all of the top professional PGA Tour players and won the Masters. That's a serious, serious showing. Um, so I feel like that that's going to be the main storyline going into the weekend, so long as Brooks Kepka continues to hold um, his lead here. I mean, he's continuing to play well. He's through two right now. It looks like he birdied the first hole. No, he birdied the second hole, and um, he's through two at the moment. So we'll see as more golfers begin to tee off. Victor Hovland and John Rahm are going to be teeing off both on either side of 1 p.m. Hopefully the storm heading into Augusta doesn't prove to be um, too detrimental because that would just ruin a lot for a lot for them right now. But kind of going off more on the Masters as well, the... The Masters is just such an interesting tournament that you see a lot of fan discussion about it on Twitter, and I was reading a number of different tweets and articles from people today where we were just sort of, they were just sort of talking about the decisions a lot of players were making on whether they were going to play or not through injury or how stuff was going on. Like yesterday, we had um, Kevin Na, and he 
withdrew after nine holes. He shot a 40 on nine and withdrew. Kevin Na is one of was one of the first defectors to live tour, and he withdrew through an unknown illness. Uh, we still have yet to hear what occurred with that. And it's funny because at first when I was watching that, I was watching him play and I was following it on Twitter. I was almost tempted to go onto Twitter and criticize Kevin Na because I'm not the biggest Kevin Na fan. And um, he hasn't really been playing well in any live tour event to begin with. He um, He's a member of the Cliques, I think. I think that's the team that he is a part of. And um, they really just are not a competitive team on tour. And he, in particular, is not very competitive on the individual basis on the live tour. And so to see him coming on and shooting four over I, I on nine, I was like, wow, Kevin Na really has fallen off. But then he had succumbed to an, uh, an apparent illness, and then he had to withdraw. And then Will Zalatoris, prior to his tee-off yesterday, Zalatoris also withdrew due to some tightness. It is unsure what exactly that tightness was. But um, a number of people on Twitter took to replying to reports from Dan Rappaport and Dylan Drether, who had discussed it, saying that, oh, my God, these players are soft. These players, can you imagine, I, I, I would have played through the Masters with one leg if I could. I would have broke, if I had every bone in my body broken, I still would have played the Masters. But that's the, that's the difference between professional golfers and fans. It's that fans are accustomed to never having the opportunity to actually be able to play in a tournament like this and play Augusta. But the thing is, is that a player like Will Zalatoris, he's always competitive. He's a perennial top 50 player in golf. So he's always going to have the opportunity to play at Augusta. This isn't going to be his last ever Masters. So he's not worried about that. He's worried about his longevity because there's still an entire season ahead of him. If you win the Masters, that doesn't mean you're going to win the FedEx Cup. So you have an entire season ahead of you where you're going to have to make those conscious decisions as to, okay, all right, yes, I want to play in the Masters. It's one of the most coveted tournaments in all of golf, but do I want to risk my long-term health and a long-term injury when I could take a week off, regain my health, and then come back and play in a couple weeks, play the PGA Championship, play the Travelers, play those other designated events, and continue to accrue FedEx Cup points? That's what he's thinking. And that's how you have to think as a professional golfer. And it just shows the divide between professional golfers and fans because there's a complete difference in the ideology of players and fans. Like, you'll see that players and fans think two different ways. And I'm guilty of it as well. As a fan, I would kill to play at Augusta. Augusta's a course that... It's a bucket list course. It's a bucket list course for any golfer. But you can't really critique someone for withdrawing due to injury and whether the injury's minor or not and they're a high level professional golfer i mean they are going to have another chance to play at augusta zalatoris is someone that's constantly competing you've seen him be at the final day top of the leaderboard competing for these tournaments so he's not accustomed to not being invited to the party per se. So he will he will be back. Um, so then kind of moving off of the injury front, going back onto the leaderboard, we um, had a number of 
just sort of interesting storylines in terms of like players and their performances and poor performances. You had Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, this may be his last real run just in general. I mean, Tiger Woods yesterday, he shot a 74, a 2 over. He just wasn't really playing that well. And you really can't blame the man. I mean, Tiger Woods is a guy who's been through hell and back in, in terms of injuries, social pariahs, alcoholism, just like so much, so much going on with Tiger Woods. And to be able to consistently come back and compete at such a high level, it, it's just a testament to his character and a testament to his physical ability. But you have to imagine that all of the injuries that he's been dealt through his entire career is starting to come back and bite him. Uh, finished two over yesterday, and off the tee, he was all right, but it was really his approach shots that killed him. I mean, he was two-putting everything, and that wasn't really for a lack of misreading the greens. It was just that all of his shots, all of his layups, and all of his approach shots, none of them were really on target. When you would watch, you would never really see Tiger Woods going for the pin. A lot of the time, it would be like 10 yards to the left, 15 yards to the right. So, something to that degree. And when you're playing in a group with, I believe he was playing with Xander Shoffley, and he was playing with Victor Hovland, two guys who were towards the top of the leaderboard right now, Tiger Woods was trying to stay in it with them, and it was just, he just wasn't able to really stay in it. You were just seeing that... Whatever was wrong, he just wasn't able to get dialed in. And, I mean, he had discussed it prior to the actual tournament where he had sort of um, made the claim that he was mulling around the idea of retirement and that he was unsure of how long he could continue because obviously the fatigue and the trauma that his body has gone through, it's going to catch up to you. Golf is a physical sport, whether people would like to admit that or not golf is a physical sport and it takes a lot out of you especially these pga tour golfers and i it's you hate to really see someone kind of go out like this but i mean it, it's been a long time coming tiger woods is an athlete a peak athlete he is the greatest golfer of all time and it hurts me a little bit to say that because i am a phil mickelson fan through thick and thin, but I mean, I can't, I can't discredit anything Tiger Woods has done. He is the greatest golfer of all time. What he has done to do for the, what he's done for the game has just been unbelievable. But to see a performance out of him like this is just sometimes a little upsetting because you wonder when is it going to be enough for him? Because it's difficult for someone like that, someone who is so competitive to hang it up. And when you realize that it's not your mind that you have to fight against. It's your body. That's what hurts even more. Because you feel like in your head, that, or in your heart, that you still are able to compete and that you constantly want to be competing, but your body just won't let you. And that's like the most difficult thing I feel that Tiger Woods is dealing with right now. And as of right now, the cut line is plus one. So... He's still in there with a shout. He's still in there. I believe he tees off at around 1.30 today. Oh, no, 12.54 because he got moved up by half an hour or so. So he's going to be teeing off at um, 12.54 because of the storm. 
And realistically, the cut line is at plus one. It'll probably stay around plus one or even, depending on how um, some performances go toward the higher end of the table. But, I mean, he shoots a 72 or a 70. Well, not a 72. He would need to shoot a 70. He shoots a 70, and he's still in there for the weekend. And then Tiger Woods playing weekend golf at the Masters is all anybody wants to see. I mean, obviously, some people would love to see Tiger competing for the green jacket, as always. I feel like everyone would love to. But more or less, I feel like people would be content seeing Tiger Woods playing on the weekend in general, knowing that we're counting down the days before he ultimately retires. We're counting down the days before he ultimately plays his final round. Like we saw it last year at the British Open, at, at, at the Open, and the accolades and just the ovation that he had received walking on 18 with the commentators saying that, oh, this would pop possibly be his last time at the Open. It might be. I mean, we don't even know if he's going to play at the Open this year. It all depends because he hasn't really played at all this year. I believe he played in the Genesis this year, and that was it, and that's his tournament. So it makes sense that he would play in that. But Tiger Woods, it's it's he's nearing the twilight. He's in the twilight of his career. He's nearing the end. And, I mean, it's sad to see, but it's something that it's expected with age and something that... People are just going to have to accept when it happens, but hopefully he's able to make the weekend and just add a little bit more to the story of this Masters. This Masters is already shaping up nice. I mean, to just sort of fill in who else is up at the top. Kepka's leading at 8-under. You've got Raman Hovland at 7-under. Gary Woodland and Jason Day and Cameron Young tied for 4th. All are at five under. Those are a couple... Gary Woodland and Jason Day are a couple names that haven't really been in the mix that much this season at other tournaments, but to see them consistently improving as the season has gone on and being in contention in the Masters is pretty cool to see. Cameron Young, a uh, New York native, Sleepy Hollow member. He's another one that's one of the young guys that everyone is loving, one of the young guys really taking the tour by storm. And then, I mean, Scotty Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler is just... He's just amazing. He is just a, such a good golfer. He's a four-under. You can't ever count him out. And an interesting story, Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett is an amateur. He is a senior with the Texas A&M Aggies, who is at four-under right now, and he is the only amateur, I believe, in the last 30 years to card a bogey-free first round at the Masters. So he's one of the featured groups right now. He is at four under, so he's in contention. That would be some story to see him win the Masters. That I think the only thing that we'd become clo- we'd come close to in terms of an amateur like that winning the Masters would probably be when Jordan Spieth came out of nowhere and won the Masters. So that would be an impressive story. That's something to watch. Um, also tied at four under, Sam Burns, Shane Lowry, Xander Shoffley, Adam Scott, and then... Steven Straka at 3-under, the Austrian coming out of nowhere. He's 1-under right now through 3. I believe he's playing with Brooks Kepka as well. So he's playing well. And then you got guys like Tony Finau and Phil Mickelson sort of rounding out the top 15 as everyone else sort of below them has yet to tee off. And uh, they'll be teeing off or a little closer to noon, I believe the latest tee times, because this is obviously a smaller field, is 1.30, 1.30 
Hideki Matsuyama and Sunjay Im are the final tee times for the day as the inclement weather starts to head into Augusta. And I mean, I prior to the tournament, I had listed as my favorites the guys who I thought were going to win. I, I had Justin Thomas as my out-and-out favorite. And then as my dark horse, I had Tony Finau, both of whom had been playing well this season. I thought they were carrying a lot of momentum going into the Masters, and both of them are playing reasonably well. I mean, Tony Finau's in it. He's at three under. He's going to be teeing off in just over an hour. And Justin Thomas is at two under, so he's right behind him. He's going to be teeing off at 118. So those two are my two favorites. Do I still... Am I still holding out hope? Yes, I feel like that'll shift by the time we hit tomorrow morning uh, after the cuts are made and everything, and we'll see how far the gap between Rom, Hovland, and Kapka is between the rest of the field. But it's it's impressive to see just how competitive the Masters is every year because a lot of people complain about the lack of competition in some of the other tournaments like the Valero and the Valspar, some of those smaller tournaments. And that's why the PGA Tour implemented a lot of those designated events. It's those events to drive up fan interaction, to sort of require all of these top-tier golfers, both who are excelling at their game, but also the fan favorites, to come play at these tournaments to drive up fan interactions, to drive up competition. But the thing is, is that that's why everyone loves the majors, and that's why everyone loves tournaments like the Masters because you will always get the best. You will never have a dry competition at the Masters. You will always have the best golfers available playing for the green jacket. And that's why everyone loves the Masters. It's why friends of mine who don't even watch golf that often talk about the Masters as one of the best weeks of the year because it's so it's so enchanting as just a fan of sports in general. The allure of Augusta National and the allure that the Masters Tournament brings, it's almost like that's when you know spring has arrived. That's when you know spring has sprung, is when the Masters comes and it graces our TVs. You hear Jim Nance announcing the first tee on CBS Sports. That's when you know spring has arrived because that's the Masters Tournament. The Masters Tournament is just such a perennial staple in the lives of sports fans and it just brings joy to everyone that watches it so it's just a fantastic tournament i'm going to be looking forward to watching it over easter this weekend and easter sunday is going to be great because we're sure to have a competitive final pairing final grouping that's going to be going toward the last couple of holes hopefully no one runs away with it i mean if someone were to run away with it if kepka were to go on a tear and run away with it, or if Rom were to have another final 17 holes like he did yesterday, that's very cool. It's always fun to see a guy really excel, but it's even better when you've got a good group of four guys who are consistently going at each other, hole in, hole out, really trying to get each other to make a mistake, and really trying to put pressure on one another. That's when you get the best golf. And, I mean, that's what the Masters does, that's what the Masters is known for. A little interesting, though, kind of talking about, like, possible champion and everything like that. It was a conversation um, I was having with a couple of my friends yesterday, and we were discussing the Masters and discussing a little bit about Liv and Greg Norman. Greg Norman, prior to the tournament, said that if a Liv Tour member 
So like Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, DJ, whoever, if one of the 18 members of the Live Tour that are playing in the Masters this year, if they win, all 18 members who were playing in the tournament will greet them on the 18th green and celebrate with them as sort of like a showing of brotherhood for the Live Tour Sort of ripping off what the Masters does every year where they have all the former champions with the green jackets. They come and they bestow the winner with the green jacket. They'll have that, but then they're going to have all the live golfers on the 18th hole. It's unconfirmed whether or not this will actually be allowed, as Greg Norman has, I believe, yet to make an appearance at Augusta thus far. He'll probably be showing his face soon. That He's just been all over the controversial scene of golf because he's the figurehead of the live tour he's not a very popular figure on the pga tour to begin with but he explained this at um in the week leading up to the masters and many people thought that was gimmicky they thought that was honestly a little bit comical and i mean i would be surprised if that does happen uh, I don't really think I would be that angry about it. I mean, it's interesting to see what the fallout would be of that, considering how much history and tradition is in down to the um, winning ceremony of the Masters, that that would kind of be messing it up. But at the same time, I mean, it, it this is kind of what Liv is all about. They're all about really pushing their own image, pushing their new version of golf, and this would be the perfect way to do it. And I think Greg Norman is really trying to take advantage of that. And I think he fully bought in to the fact that his golfers are still competitive. And Brooks Koepka is proving that right now. That his golfers are still competitive and that they can still compete at a high level. So I think he was banking on that to kind of use it as a basis of, okay, the Live Tour is legitimate. We still have a great deal of competition. And this is kind of... Just using that as a bit of, okay, PGA Tour, you've had your fun, but now the Live Tour, this is where we get to show that we are competitive. We're not the bad guys here. Well, they kind of are, but in their eyes, they're not. That they're not the bad guys, and we are a young and growing tour, and people should come watch us. And look, we came back and won the Masters, and it's it's crazy. So... I, I feel like that if that does happen, you're going to see outrage like you've never seen before. I think you will see outrage that mimics the original outrage from the Live Tour. Like when players first started leaving back in 2020 and 2021, that's when you're going to see a similar level of outrage from people that are saying that this is a disgrace to the Masters, that it disgraces history, like this is golfing heritage and you're just spitting on it. And I mean... I'm going to watch it because I'm a sucker for drama. I am a journalist. I am a journalist at heart, and I love to cover golf. So that makes my job so much more fun because you get to witness that. So I'm going to be eagerly awaiting to see if that occurs on Sunday. But, I mean, if that does happen, if anybody has something to say about it, it's going to be guys like Victor Hovland and John Rahm. But, I mean... For the Masters as a whole, there's really not much else that has to be said because you're still still early in the tournament. There's a lot more that has to go on. The weather is going to play a role in how today goes and how today's unfolds. I think a lot of people are going to be watching Tiger Woods to see if he's able to make the cut. 
uh, see where Phil Mickelson ends up, and then obviously that leading pack of three to see how far they go, and considering Brooks Kepka is already tee off and he's already one under, to see how far Kepka can extend his lead. But going on with that, we're going to switch gears here for a second and go into baseball. Because baseball, we've got opening day, and opening day was last week. MLB is fully in full swing now, and we've had a lot of stuff going on in the world of baseball because obviously spring training was coming, spring training was coming through, and everybody was getting excited. A lot of big contracts are being thrown around, especially at the shortstop position, and a lot of people were just exceptionally excited for opening day. I know I was. Opening day, baseball, it's a staple of American sports, and I mean, who isn't excited about baseball? So opening day came through, start touch upon my New York Yankees. Yankees are four and two opening series with the Giants, which was pretty ironic because the Giants were the only other team in for Aaron Judge. And so then everyone remembers the infamous Arson Judge appears to be heading to the San Francisco Giants. And for seven minutes, the hearts of all Yankee fans across the world were broken. But as we all know, Aaron Judge stayed stayed in New York. He is now the new captain of the New York Yankees. And New York Yankees actually opened the year against the San Francisco Giants. And they won the series 2-1 to one. first game of the year was a win for Garrett Cole. He broke the MLB strikeout record for opening day with, I believe, 11 or 12 strikeouts as the Yankees had a 5 to nothing win. It was a shutout. Fanta- it was just fantastic all around, because Anthony Volpe, the Yankees' top prospect, made his debut at shortstop, which is a serious sign of the times as well, considering how the Yankees sort of were always a team that wanted to bring in a lot of guys. I and mean, you haven't really seen Cashman and a lot of the front office really trusting a lot of the young prospects since the time of like Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mark Teixeira, etc. Like a lot of when the young guys were coming in to fill that core. You haven't really seen a lot of the young Yankees prospects really being given a chance. So to see someone like Anthony Volpe starting on opening day, to see someone like Oswaldo Cabrera starting on opening day was just a real sign of the times and showing how different um this Yankees roster is so that was brilliant to see Volpe played very well absolutely lightning feet stole second he's already got like three or four stolen bases on the year Ricky Henderson is shaking in his boots but um yeah the Yankees played well in opening day they've been continuing to play well they're four and two right now and they look really good. I mean, you've got guys like Giancarlo Stanton hitting home runs 485 feet. Labor Torres is playing very well. Aaron Judge is playing very well. Volpe is playing well. He's playing great on defense. Like, everybody is playing well for the Yankees. And considering that half of the Yankees' starting rotation is not healthy, it's a testament to how well the rest of the team has been built. 
and that once that rotation comes back, once Carlos Rodon comes back, the biggest Yankees addition that wasn't already on the team, he came in from the San Francisco Giants, once he returns, once Frankie Montas returns later in the season for shoulder surgery, once Luis Severino returns, we're going to see an exceptional Yankees team with arguably the best rotation in baseball. So, sort of just uh, going around the horn, talking about um, other teams on opening day. The Braves won on opening day. The Braves have been on a tear lately. I mean, the Braves just hit a, had a walk-off in their home opener last night. So, the Braves are playing exceptionally well. Right now, where are, where is their record? The Braves beat the Padres 6-7 to on a walk-off. They're 6-1 right now. They look like the team to beat in the National League. Everyone was saying that the Padres were going to be the out-and-out World Series title favorite. I mean, obviously it's early on, but they are 3-4 and four right now. But, I mean, when you look at the Atlanta Braves, you really, I can't see much of a weakness in their lineup. They are stacked in the outfield. Ronald Acuna is back and healthy. Their infield is great. Matt Olson is hitting home runs better than anybody else in the in the entirety of the MLB. The Atlanta Braves are just set up so nicely, and I feel like that their front office really has to just sit back and take in the impressive job that they have done because the Atlanta Braves are setting an example for the rest of the National League and just the MLB as a whole considering how the team has been run, the fact that they were able to retain so many stars. Yeah, they lost Freddie Freeman, but they were able to replace him with an exceptional talent in Matt Olson without having to give up too much. And they're just run great. They're one of the best run organizations in baseball, and it's another great thing to great thing to see. The Boston Red Sox, having started pretty poorly to start the year, they're three and four right now, starting to get a good run of games together. They beat the Tigers last night, six to three. Adam Duvall is playing out of his mind right now with another home run. Adam Duvall, a three-run home run. Last night, he had a walk-off home run against the Orioles a couple nights ago. I mean, Adam Duvall is playing incredible. The Red Sox are projected to finish bottom of the American League East. And I feel like that isn't very surprising considering the strength of their roster. I mean, they retained Rafael Devers, but they lost Xander Bogarts. They don't have the same pieces that they did last year and the year before. So many are believing that this team is going to regress significantly. And I mean, they have no pitching whatsoever. I mean, Chris Sale is made of glass. Chris Sale can't pitch. And it's a shame because Chris Sale is an exceptional pitcher, or he was. And to see this sort of fall from grace for him is pretty disappointing, just as a baseball fan in general. But the Red Sox don't have a very strong team, but a lot of people... A lot of beat writers and a lot of reporters from the Boston area are talking about how this Red Sox team is a great deal of chemistry. And any any sports fan and baseball fan knows that if you are a team that has a good deal of chemistry, that's going to bring you very far. Like, when you've got good chemistry, that can make up for a lot of shortcomings. So, this team could be very scary if they are able to put a string of wings together, I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't think that their pitching is going to get them many wins, and their offense is going to have to seriously overperform if they want to really make any noise in the American League this year. But I still believe that they're going to finish bottom of the American League East. I think the Orioles improved a lot, and I think the Orioles 
are going to take hold, firm hold of that fourth place spot. So I think the Red Sox are going to drop down to fifth. But, I mean, hey, there's good vibes in Boston. They've got good players. Adam Duvall is playing great. So, I mean, Red Sox fans, you've got that to be happy about. But, I mean, not that much else, to be perfectly honest with you. And you have to hope that Rafael Devers is still convinced of all, everything that's going on because you don't want Rafael Devers, your best player, your MVP, to get unhappy. The Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are 4-3, and three, and the Blue Jays are... It's funny because when you look at the World Series predictions that were in the offseason, and coming out of the American League, a lot of people were just going with the Houston Astros because the Astros are one of the best teams in baseball. And as much as I hate the Astros, and I think they're cheaters, or they were, they are an exceptional baseball team. They are the best team in the American League there, or one of the best. I can't I can't wholeheartedly say the Yankees are the best team in the American League because we got basically swept by the Astros last year. But... I um I do have to say they are one of the best teams. But a lot of people were taking the Toronto Blue Jays as a sleeper pick for the World Series. And I can't say I blame them. I mean, their infield is insane. Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Jr., Calvin Biggio, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman, a gold glove winning third baseman. And then, I mean, you've got guys like Teoscar Hernandez. you got Bobby, uh, just, you've... Uh, Varsho, uh, it's just, you've got so many great guys. I mean, you brought in Whit Merrifield, who's an ex- excellent, excellent, um, experienced roster guy, guy knows how to play on a successful team, played on that Kansas City Royals team that won the World Series, so he's another guy that brings a lot of experience to this lineup. I mean, George Springer is still very good, Kevin Kiermaier still has stuff to offer, so you've got, and then it's their pitching rotation that is what really gets people excited. You got Kevin Gosman from the Giants. You've got Jose Barrios. He didn't have a great year last year, but we all know the potential Jose Barrios has. You have Hinjin Ryu, another excellent pitcher that came in from the Dodgers last year. So they've got a very solid pitching rotation. I mean, Chris Bassett as well. Can't forget him. Adam Simber, Yimmy Garcia, Yusei Kikuchi, Alex Manoa. Like they've got excellent, excellent pitching. And then overall, they've got very good, very, they've got very, very, very good infield. I think their outfield is a little weak, but they don't need that when you've got average defense in the outfield, but you've just got an exceptional infield. So I think a lot of people are riding the Toronto Blue Jays as a possible dark horse for the World Series. I'm not, because I don't think the Toronto Blue Jays are going to win the American League East, and then they're going to have to get out of the wild card, and... The Tampa Bay Rays are still very good, so they have to compete with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Tampa Bay Rays also were the only undefeated team after five games, I believe. And let's see, are they still undefeated? Yeah, they're 6-0 right now. They're 6-0. Did they play yesterday? Let's take a look. No, they didn't. So their last game was Wednesday when they beat the Nationals 7-2. The Tampa Bay Rays are 6-0. They're the only undefeated team left in Major League Baseball. And it's funny because many people had assumed that the Tampa Bay Rays were not going to be good. Because, look at it this way. The Tampa Bay Rays had a similar payroll to, like, the Oakland Athletics. And the Oakland Athletics are garbage. They are a bottom feeder team in in Major League Baseball. Terrible. No attendance. And the Tampa Bay Rays were the same way. They... Never really got that much attendance given the location of the stadium in St. Petersburg. Having it in Tampa Bay is just difficult. There's a lot of logistical problems there. 
But their roster never screams world star caliber talent. I mean, like, Wander Franco is incredible. That's why they signed him to, like, a 12-year deal as a rookie, because he is incredible. But, I mean, beside that, Yandy Diaz at first base, you've got Randy Rosarina in left, you've got Manuel Margot in right field, uh, Isak Paredes at third base. I mean, it, their actual hitting just is not that good. And it's just really not something that you'd really shake a stick at. Not that you'd be intimidated. It's their pitching that is really incredible. I mean, Shane McClanahan is exceptional. He is a Cy Young contender, and he, he is just fantastic. I mean, last year... His, his performances last year were unbelievable. And then last year, I mean, they had Corey Kluber as well. That was when one of the, uh, when they brought him over from the Yankees. That He's on the Red Sox now. That was another thing I should mention, that they brought Corey Kluber, Red Sox, got him from the Rays, and he was a former Yankee too. He's been bouncing around the American League East. But going back to the Rays, pitchers, I mean, you got Zach Eflin, who's an incredible pitcher. You've got Shane McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, Ryan Thompson. Like, these are really good pitchers pitchers that's their strong suit it's pitching so i mean realistically if you're able to keep if the rays are able to keep guys from scoring runs just by striking them out that's all you need to do and i mean their lineup is performing quite well right now i feel like it's overperforming to an extent so we shall see how long that is able to continue but I mean, at the same time, I feel like the longevity of this Rays team is fully dependent on their health because I feel like once one guy gets hurt, the chemistry is going to die and then they're going to fall apart again. I feel like once Randy Rosarina picks up a knock because he played the World Baseball Classic, he's been playing at full speed for the past couple of months. So I feel like that eventually when a player like him or Franco or Manuel Margot, once one of them get hurt, I feel like that's when you're going to see the Rays really struggle. But I mean, right now... They look like the team to beat in the American League East. They're 6-0, but again, it's early on. I can't, none of these predictions that I'm saying are really going to hold that much weight because you're looking at teams like the Phillies. The Phillies were in the World Series last year, and right now they are, I believe, 1-5. They have three home, three or four home runs as a team this year, and they just don't look very good. And you have to, you can't forget that they're missing Reese Hoskins and they're missing Bryce Harper, both with injuries, both of whom are going to be out for a significant period of time. And they're still a World Series team. They won the World's, they um, won the National League last year, made the World Series, lost to the Astros. They're still a competitive team. They came up against the Yankees. And the Yankees are just really good. So the Phillies are going to be good as well. I know my roommate Aiden's going to be loving me hearing, loving me saying that. But the Phillies are going to be another good team as well. But it's just, it's early on. So you're going to see a lot of these teams really playing poorly or playing well. But once we get like 30, 40 games into the year, that's when we're going to see a good amount of teams sort of figure out how they're going to be this season you're going to start to get a good gauge on who's competing who's pretending who are the wild card teams who's going to win their division once you hit like 30 40 games into the year that's when you start to get a better better look early on you can't ever really know for sure because you have such a small sample size but 
It's great to speculate, it's fun to watch, and it's fun to just really pay attention to because it's just great having baseball back. When you hit that sort of lull where you're in between the World Series and spring training, and it's kind of, it's kind of sad because you all you see, you see a lot of these contracts getting signed. You saw a number of people switching teams, switching divisions, and then that just made you long for the sport once again. And baseball is just one of those sports where, like, a lot of people don't really enjoy it. It's not their cup of tea, but, I mean, baseball, it's, I, to me at least, it's difficult to hate baseball. And, I mean, now with the new changes, like the pitch clock coming in, speeding up games, games are averaging, like, two hours and ten minutes now. That's fantastic. Can you imagine going to, like, a 7.30 game at Yankee Stadium? By the time the game's over, you're basically on the train getting back to wherever you came from at 9.45. It's fantastic. So, having those changes like that, plus the throwing around of impressive money um, between teams and between teams and players, I feel like that it's all good for baseball, and I'm happy baseball is back. Baseball is just another, it's another example of, like, you know spring is here when baseball comes back. It's like the Masters. Once baseball comes back, once the Masters comes back, you know that you're leaving winter, you're leaving the cold and dreary weather and the nice, warm sunshine is right around the corner. All that nice baseball weather where you can go sit around, sit around at the ballpark, eat some food, and just watch some great teams. It's all right around the corner. But, I mean, everybody, thank you for listening today. That was a bit of a ramble. Um, we've got going to have a good show next week. I'll be sure to coordinate with whoever the guest is, whether we can get Mason to come back on or find another guest for next week. But we are nearing the end of the semester, nearing the end of the semester, and that means season one of Marks and Marks will be coming to a close. So again, everybody, thank you for listening. I think we're going to have two or three episodes left in the month of April before we head off for a little bit of a summer hiatus. But again, stay tuned on all my socials because we will be having a number of different things coming across the feed this summer. So again, thank you everybody for listening and I will see you on Friday.